0: Out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello and welcome. This is the C86 Show. I'm David Eastall. As you know, we love a special guest. Let's be honest. This week is going to be the turn of the British new wave band. Yes, it's the Joe Boxers, formed in 1982. Um, I spoke to the drummer very recently to find out more about life, love Poetry, all that other groovy stuff. Anyway, look, you're going to hear the rest of the interview. And frankly, Mr Shankley, we're going to get deep down and very excited about this. Yes, they had that massive hit, Just Got Lucky. Check it out. Them dancing on top of the box. Right. Anyway, this is uh, with Sean McCluskey, drummer. And um, yes, after about five minutes of casual chat, we got down to that very interesting subject that was the early formative years of Sean's life. Sean, you're going to tell us everything. Well, hopefully. Anyway, it's over to you now. Bye.
1: kind of embraced the sort of alternative uh, uh, scene as as a young teen. Yeah, you know, I mean, used to go to the free festivals, and uh, I was a kind of, I was quite a big Hawkwind fan.
0: Oh right, so you were uh, there at Stonehenge?
1: No, I wasn't at Stonehenge, but I did the two, I did the Windsor festivals, and uh, as like really young, and Watchfield, and kind of went to those, those sort of things, and um, spent spent pretty, you know, through through, kind of when I was fourteen, like every Sunday we got to the Roundhouse, to the. Uh, the Sort of five band bill that was on at the Roundhouse Theatre every Sunday, so you'd see everything, you
0: know. Yes, and did you just go uh, back to your Windsor Free Festival because that was that was organized by a guy called Wally Hope, wasn't it? Who, who yeah, w- one of them, yeah, yeah, and, Dwyer as well. And there was, um, and the guy from Crass Rambo, he was quite sort of, I oh, was
1: he involved in that, I did not know, he thing. was very
0: good friends with Wally, and then Wally kind of died in slightly murky circumstances, which he, um, Rambo from Crass, documented and thought he was, you know, thought he was murdered, basically. Um, so it was all a bit weird and strange, because I, I guess, because that was the mid-70s, wasn't it, that that sort of winds of free stuff, Yeah, 74, uh, st- uh, yeah.
1: 5. Yes. Pre-punk.
0: Pre-punk. That kind of,
1: that weird pre-punk period. I, I, I know I was like a little and then. And um, I did the... Um, I went to the, uh, the, I was at the Windsor Festival where the police raided it and they were like horse charged everyone's tents at like six in the morning.
0: Nice. That's uh, what you want when you're 14, isn't it? Or Yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah. And I told my mum and dad that I was staying at a friend's house for the weekend and they saw me on the news. <laughs>
0: God, that blew that one, didn't it? Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah,
1: so I kind of embraced embraced that and then it was like, then you know, the, you know the sort of punk rock thing happened, and that was that was it. You know, because it was it was like your big brother's scene. It uh, was a kind of hippie thing, and then uh, and then it was our thing with punk rock. You know.
0: And did Hawkwind? Did Hawkwind blow your mind when you were young?
1: Well, they were uh, exactly what you need. You know. Yes. Like, yeah. Yeah,
0: I know. An I immense.
1: You know, like an immense happening. Yeah, it was oh. great. Quite an amazing it's perfect. Band. I mean, looking back, it's you know, a lot of it's quite um, just a bit crap, really. But <laughs> but, it, uh, but as a but as a, as a show, it was it was incredible, you know. And for obviously for a little kid, it was even more incredible. Did it have Stacey uh, in it?
0: Was Stacey the dancer? Was she doing her stuff then as yeah, well? Yeah, she's
1: still doing
0: it. Yeah. Nice. And was but, Lemmy uh, was Lemmy on bass then, or had he been kicked out? Yeah, Lemmy
1: on bass. I, you know, used to go to a few shows and you'd get there early and you'd unload the van with them and get backstage and clip yeah. round the ear old <laughs> Lemmy.
0: <laughs> so when did you start to pick up the drums? When was when when was the drum becoming a I, thing?
1: I, I'd done that as a little kid. I kind of taught my parents into getting, getting me a kit uh, early on, and I'd been in bands at school. And then when I got to um, I went to art college in Bristol and that's where I met and that's when the punk rock thing was kicking off. I wasn't in London then. I'd gone down there and that's when I met Chris and Rob who we then were in different bands together down in Bristol. Uh then and then we we all moved up to London to do to work with Johnny Britton uh, who was putting a band together, which lasted about a week, and then we ended up being the new Subway Sect. Right. With Vic Goddard, yeah. Dear old Vic. Because Vic, Vic, Vic needed a new band. And uh, Bernie Rose, who was managing Johnny Britton, uh, who we'd come up to London to work with, uh, kind of coned us off to work with Vic. And we uh, we worked on one album with him. Yes. And yeah. who
0: and Johnny and Britton. Tell us more about Johnny Britton.
1: Well Johnny was a he was a kind of face in Bristol. Um he'd met Bernard Rhodes, Clash's manager at a Clash show. And uh, Bernard had said come up and sort of come up to London and sort of work on some you know, some ideas. And then you know, and then Johnny had come back down to Bristol to to put a band together, really, get you know, and um a load of us went up to town to kind of like, not audition, but just sort of try and do it. And we ended up being his band. But Johnny was, Johnny was like, you know, singing. Yes. Uh, he put out one single on, on Bernard l uh, little startup label called Oddball, which Dexies had also done a, their first single on. And Vic had done singles on. And, uh, Yeah, we just sort of moved up to London and lived in the Clash's old rehearsal studio in in, uh, Camden, in the stables in Camden, sleeping on the mattress. God, uh, it's quite working on that. Yes, that's like pre-Camden Market, Camden.
0: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that's quite a story, actually, isn't it? And and the Subway Sec with Vic, you know, he was such a legend.
1: Well, he was. He's you know he's He's a proper artist, and he he he'd done you know he'd been in in early doors with punk rock, done all the White Riot tour, and the, you know like the Hunter Club punk festival for McLaren, and you know he'd done all he'd, he'd really done his you know like really sort of set his stall out, and then he just binned it and um, wanted to do something more melodic and and kind of pretty much sort of invented the kind of indie sound that sort of loose. Uh, you know, song-based, loose kind of thing. You know, without being kind of scene, scene-based. Um, he's good. He's an interesting guy. He still is, and we're working with him again. So.
0: Yes, I think he, he went. He, he, but he
1: really he, did. He did some good stuff at that at that moment by by kind of ditching the norm, which punk had been become the norm really fast. You know, it spread around the country really quickly. And uh, be- had become a bit of a cliche. So he he was, you know, was one of the first to kind of get out. Yeah, well, it's quite interesting because do I know. We, lo- we we ended up doing something really kind of left left field with him that was just sort of totally against the grain because he, he just wanted to do something non rock and roll, and ended up doing sort we ended up doing uh, doing a swing jazz album with him. <laughs> <laughs> Not that any of us could play that stuff. We just sort of made it up and. Uh, and then but the promoters were still booking Subway Sec because they thought it was a punk band, so we'd go out on bills and we'd play shows where you know Subway Sec was billed, and we'd go out and play like Cole Porter numbers to like <laughs> second generation punk rockers with Mohicans throwing fucking bottles at us. It was brilliant, <laughs> I mean, as Vic says in the sleeve notes to his um uh rough trade compilation, sort of from a few couple the decades back. It, it, that was the most punk rock thing he ever did. Was going out and doing his, his his jazz set around England.
0: Right. This is his kind of Rat Pack period, isn't it? He really got into yeah, the... yeah.
1: And he was just just trying to do something just completely against. Him. But he was young. He was truly trying to study those writers and and write and write songs. You know, so like proper. He wasn't. He wasn't a joke. It was, he was writing proper songs. And the fact it kind of turned into that, and uh, and then but then we still had to, we went out and did it in public. It was you know it it caused a lot of a lot of riots. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's kind of interesting because there's such a difference between that n- New York punk scene and the and the British London punk scene. Because cause one is you know like the the American one. I know this is a bit of a sweeping statement, but I mean it's quite much more artistic. There was people like Andy Warhol and Basquiat and. William Burroughs kind of on the scene and, and sort of that, you know, Patty Smith with that just, kind of...
1: You just said three different uh, generations there in one sentence.
0: I did, but oh. they were all hanging about the CBGBs and the Max's Kansas City, weren't they? They, they? they were all being around that scene. They were still, you know, I mean, Basquiat had just started. Yeah. And Warhol was hanging out at Max's Kansas City, so everyone, you know... I mean, went, I think
1: there, 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 but if you if you kind of look at the British the British equivalent, um, it's just as peppered with uh, variety, you know, because it, it wasn't it wasn't just a musical movement. It was a, it was a it was an aesthetic an aesthetic change in in culture. So there was there was just as important. But on on the British scale of things involved, I don't I don't see I don't see much difference. Yes, uh, just because some of those guys you know kind of got bigger, but um, you know what's the equivalent to CBGBs was uh, Andy's Roxy Club, and great things came out of there. And also there was crossovers between there. You know, um, like Jane County, you know, yes. played the Roxy. You
0: know, Jay
1: County was the DJ at Max's Kansas City, and played CBGBs many, many times. Yes, this is true. But, uh, it was a, it was a good a good cultural exchange across the pond. You know, yes. But weirdly instigated by um, Mr. McLaren, you know, who'd gone to the States to kind of uh, do his do his fashion and ended up managing the New York Dolls and sort of dipping straight into that pre-punk New York. Uh, tranny kind of aesthetic that that was kind of mirrored in England with the kind of Kings Road scene, really. Yeah, with like you know, like Rocky Horror Show. You know, that sort of, thing was sort of mirrored in the UK. So there's there's always been that transatlantic tennis of culture. Well, yes. Uh,
0: and quite a lot of them kind of did that tour, didn't they? Like, I think Johnny Thunders came yeah, over. The, yeah,
1: exactly, yeah. Man heroin to the English, English rock and roll scene again.
0: <laughs> well, I know, that was quite something, wasn't it? I think that sort of, if the heroin didn't get people, the AIDS did in the following decades. So I think New York was yeah. pretty, and New York was also very cheap at that stage in the 70s as well, so it didn't, from talking but to various was. people, people, you know, it was very... You know, basically the cheapest place to live in America, so it wasn't that difficult.
1: Well, I think, I think it was, you know, um, a big, a big, a big exchange between New York and London that happened during the seventies, lot many times actually.
0: Yes, it was, and,
1: and you know, and in the eighties with you know, with other cities.
0: Well, L.A. especially, I think that was quite a big one mm-hmm. down there, and and a bit of Texas. But look, then with your with your your experience with the subway sec, then did you were you always? Because this is the interesting thing. Well, vaguely, but um, at that stage, you know, Thatcher had got in seventy nine, hadn't it? Hadn't she, dear old Thack, Maggie? And then, you know, there was a huge amount of unemployment, you know, which was. You know, I, I don't know if you can remember, but a lot of people were just going unemployed because it was like almost getting a grant, you know, and there was the Job Seekers Allowance and Enterprise Allowance Schemes, which gave people that year of being able to say, oh, look, I'm going to be an artist or I'm going to be a paper, mm-hmm. you know, musician. And they were able to sort of claim the doll. Did you go down that route at all when, with your kind of early musical uh, career? Or did, did you sort of, could you avoid that world?
1: What, signing on? Yes, uh, no, I used I used that when it was um, easy to do as a kid. Yeah.
0: Yes. Well, I just kind but, of uh,
1: there was never the, there was never sort of um, it was never the um, overarching sort of feeling you you were being sort of pampered to. It was always just like a, a tool to kind of get you through.
0: But there was no stigma. I I sort of remember from being you know signing on no. for.
1: Listen to wham rap
0: <laughs> I know that's a classic song, actually, forget the redskins
1: and, and I'm so glad George was really embarrassed about it in his later years, but I actually think it's a, a really good document of what people thought. I think mean, it's the, probably the best piece of work he ever did.
0: This is true, I know even
1: though it's a bit crap' it's, it's actually at least he kind of documented something, you know in a bad way, but. He didn't. <laughs>
0: I know, this is good. So, were you with your. I always
1: got, I always got on with George. I had, I had a lot of arguments with him in nightclubs. Yeah. But uh, he, was, he was all right.
0: I think he was a bit of a stoner from what people have said.
1: Probably not back then.
0: No. I don't know. It was interesting because I was doing an interview with a person who was um, the bass player in Voice of the Beehive, and they. I think they went to Denmark to do a recording for their first album, and George was also on the plane going there. And, um, yes, he, w- he was desperate for drugs. And they said, oh, that's OK. Depeche Mode were here last week. They've left loads in the house. You can have all theirs. So he did. And that was interesting. <laughs> so, <laughs> but just the end of that story. He,
1: he, George, used to, George used to come to my club on Wardour Street. I used to run, uh, I, I saw this club called the Brain Club. It was like seven nights a week, Acid House Club, in, in 1989, and he, he he used to come down with his boyfriend, and they dance at either end of the dance floor with girls, just to make sure nobody noticed.
0: I <laughs> know, <laughs> uh, poor old George. But then, so with your with your because I've got indie pop down between the years of eighty three to eighty seven. They were the years yeah, of yeah, the, 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 the,
1: the halcyon days of smash hits magazine, basically.
0: And the Smiths. Well,
1: a, great docu- a great document of, uh, of what was the birth of indie. Yes, smash hits. Weirdly, I mean, uh Neil Tennant uh, was the editor, wasn't he?
0: He was. And did you, when yeah. you, when you got your band together after the the Subway sec, did it all sort of? Did you have a sort of vision of what you were going to be doing? You know, in a sound. Absolutely.
1: Song? Yeah. Totally. Yeah. We we were we were basically, uh, when Vic Vic sort of kind of started to slide away from the band because he met the love of his life and he he kept missing shows when we were on tour and like going back to London. Uh, and we were just like, oh, fuck it. And then Bernie, the manager, introduced us to Big Wayne, who was an American rockabilly singer who'd been touring with uh, the Stray Cats with his band Buzz and the Flyers. And we um, we just sort of dipped in with him and started doing a couple of songs at the at the rehearsal studio in, in, the, in the stables in Camden. And uh, it kind of clicked. And within a month, and a half we'd written the whole set and we decided to come up with a new name and and then bernie kind of went out and shopped it and got us a deal with uh, rca like really quick obviously off the back of his fucking pedigree you know very little to do with us but uh you know we had the raw material and uh, and the songs were all it was basically based on what we were hearing, what we were enjoying and hearing out in the clubs in London, so you'd go to like Gazz's rock and blues, you'd go to the Beetroot, you go to the Dirt Box, you go uh, all it, you know that's that was the scene, and you'd hear funk, you'd hear rockabilly, you'd hear you'd hear like Georgie Fame jazz, you'd hear uh, kind of boogaloo and stuff like that re- kind of retro music, but also this new kind of electro kind of Funk thing that was coming out of America, pre-Hip Hop kind of, um, and we just sort of absorbed all that and kind of made a set out of those ideas. And and uh, it kind it must have been it must have hit hit the moment with you know, obviously the you know A and R guy likes it and and then you know makes made a record. Yes. So yes, we did. We had a we had a vision. We were in, into music. We were into into what was going on, and we kind of form some hybrid thing out of it you know yeah. I mean, it's a bit kind of it's a bit eclectic looking back on it and it's a bit sort of all over the shop but uh, it obviously struck a chord you know so there you go
0: it did it did because actually it's yeah. going back that rockabilly because it was Levi and the Rockats who who were from South End i think they they were the people who who were sort of quite instrumental in sort of bringing um, I don't know That rockabilly sound. And then I think they got taken over to America for various reasons and then sort of did a bit... I think
1: I saw them. I don't remember the time scale on it. I don't know.
0: Levi Dexter and the Rockettes. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. We definitely saw him. But Um, I don't... Was he, like, really kind of early doors... What's for, of like, Robert Gordon was in, in the States?
0: Well, I think he was around the Merck 77 times 78, and he had a guy called Smutty. Yeah, Robert,
1: I mean, Robert Gordon was before that, though, in New York. Right. He was, like, he was doing, like, authentic rock and roll rockabilly, like, in 74 or 5, I think. Yes. And that's what Dig, Dig came out of that scene. Came out Dig was, like, I mean, that was, like, sort of proper New York hipster, like, doing really purist rockabilly kind of stuff.
0: Uh yes, and did you and you were quite stylish, weren't you? Did you did you put a lot of work into this kind of image?
1: Well, we look stylish now, still, <laughs> 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 which is, is kind of very I'm very pleased about. <laughs> like, that uh, you know we don't look like '80s idiots. We look actually like something that a lot of um, a lot of people have adopted since you know it's a clas- yeah. It's a
0: classic style, it didn't go for that kind of yeah, Robert it, plant. That
1: classic style didn't exist back then, as in you couldn't go out and buy it in a shop in one go. Like now, it's a lot of kind of like men of a uh, certain age <laughs> are allowed to have that look, but, but you can buy all you know the beautiful, you know, the brogues and the boots and the self salvaged Levi's and the and, and the and the panel caps and stuff like that it's all available for at a price now but back then we just had to bash it together out you know it was something that we we kind of like as a group we 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 appreciated we like the look and we bashed it together out of the thrift shops that were available and there was a number of thrift shops in london that were that were buying in bulk like bales of 50s and 60s kind of vintage and uh, it was a shop called Flip actually. Uh, there was one on the King's Road, there was one on in Covent Garden, uh called Flip. And they just had loads of stuff like old sort of sixties sweatshirts and baseball stuff and and big baggy kind of work trousers and prison trousers and uh you know belts and braces and, and it kind of just came out of that. It was like mm-hmm. literally like five pound gear that we were finding in the thrift shops because it was it was actually american american uh, clothing but you know bought in bales like so, sort of
0: yes like um
1: uh, yeah that was it really i mean obviously dig was a big big influence on that cuz and uh, and we you know we we sort of just looked what was available and, and, and got on it but it was a kind of weirdly it was a, like i said about the music that sort of strange kind of amalgam of sounds that was going on in the clubs there was a sort of swell of that thing in the clubs as well if you you know uh i just wrote a piece about club left which was the club we did with Vic goddard at the whiskey go-go before it was turned into the wag club by chris sullivan we we used to do thursday nights there every week to do and play with Vic goddard and different singers and there was a look that was developing out of out of that sort of of a kind of like fifties jazz kind of i, bit more, I suppose it was know, quite like,
0: it was quite beatnik as well, and there was the Yeah. and, was, and, was, and I, was, I do I remember, remember there was it, um
1: you look, if you look at the bands like you know animal nightlife you look at blue rondo with, with the zoot you look at uh uh Sade's band um pride that you know it was all about pegs and Flat caps and you know like it was it was a nod at that kind of you know what what they what they you know tried to lift for um uh, what was that awful film based on the fifties book
0: oh well, um <laughs>
1: you know absolute beginners.
0: You know? Absolutely. Oh, Christ, yes. Yeah. Yes, Julian Temple.
1: That. All the wag crowd were in
0: that. Yeah, yeah well, absolutely. Because that actually, <laughs> uh, during, during that period, there was that, those two, or well, one Francis Ford Coppola film, wasn't there? There was Rumblefish and there was the Outsiders and there was yeah. Yeah, whole... and the
1: Rumblefish, Rumblefish was a huge influence on that, on that London crowd, actually. I remember sitting, uh, watching that with Phil Dirtbox and, uh, you know, like, everyone was, you know, like, vests and, Levi's and kind of, you know, it was that was the look, it was, not, it was kind of developing.
0: And at that stage, we also, I say we, but we all loved to watch those films with James Dean. And also, there was the uh, a street car named Desire with the one and only Marlon Brando, who looked unbelievably heavyweight not heavyweight, but you know, Christ, he was strong, wasn't he? <laughs> and he was, he was walking around with a vest on a lot, a lot of the time, wasn't he?
1: Yeah. Well, that was. Yeah, it kind, of, it kind of came out of all that. Yes. But it still looks all right, you know. I'm kind of pleased to keep finding photos of that stuff. Yes. Of, of us lot. Yeah. You know?
0: Yes, I know you don't do? need
1: ridi- We don't have a ridiculous uh, bleached highlight mullet. I know. Like, um, like wham.
0: I know. Or um, what was that? There was that. Oh, oh, that lady dye kind of hairstyle, which was all a bit heavy at the fringe, wasn't it? And floppy. And
1: It'll look great in 20 years. It'll look like the 60s. But at the moment, it still looks bad.
0: Mm, I'm never sure if it's going to. I don't think the mullet's ever going to look great, actually, in, in 20 years time. It's not.
1: Depends. Depends how old you are.
0: 56. It'll look
1: fantastic to a, to a 12 year old.
0: <laughs> well, like one of those football players There's right?
1: only so many things you can do with hair. There is true, it's but... definitely th- coming back. I
0: don't know, it seems to be getting shorter. Yeah, okay, I will. But then, you know, when you went into the studio to do the first album, which was the honeymoon period, your producer, Alan, is it um, Shacklock?
1: Shacklock, yeah.
0: Was that a good experience?
1: Yeah, it's great. It's fine. Did you back... Buy- to with someone who can actually... Uh, Corral a bunch of kids.
0: Yes. Did it take? Um, was it quite straightforward? The the you know the recording. Yeah, it's
1: really, really simple. Yeah. just got in, recorded what we were doing, and then he, he uh, um, diplomatically um, encouraged us to augment certain things. Yeah. As a producer should.
0: And did you listen? Yeah, we did. Because a lot of people say, God, the one thing I wish I'd done when we were younger is listen to what we were given advice by. But then it's hard.
1: No, he was was, was cool. He was good.
0: Yeah. He did
1: did a good job.
0: And were you kind of amazed? Because with a lot of bands, I mean, I come from Norwich. It's not a great place for music. I mean, we had the Farmers, Buyers, the Higgsons, serious Drinking. There wasn't a lot else. So most bands don't make it. But then when you do hit it, and suddenly, you know, you get chart success and you're on top of the pops. Did that feel like a, an absolute blur and a dream?
1: Uh, it was fast. But uh, I think we, we were well um, equipped to do it. Um, that was it, really. Yeah. But the, the only, you know, the only problems start after that when you, you've got to do it again quickly you know yes and if you're not if you haven't got the material and you're not prepared then then it then it starts to falter that's all was but the, the
0: first
1: the first push was was we were very, really well equipped we were toured we were toured we were honed we were we were tight and we knew how to do it and we were enjoying it so it was fine nothing wrong with that Yes. but you but where good management comes in is when you, you get people to prepare for the next bit.
0: What was your management like when at that stage?
1: It was it was kind of gone, so we were like on our own. Yeah. You know?
0: Yes. How could so I- it? Should
1: have been, and that's 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 the difficult bit. So you need, you need prep. You need to prepare people who are on that first wave to get ready for the next bit. And you don't know that unless you're told
0: it. No, because I guess actually everything's in the world that is pop and sort of popular music. Everything is quite. I only
1: say this because I'm I, I manage artists now, so I've kind of taken that on board. <laughs> yes,
0: yeah. I know. But were you amazed at the sort of the musical kind of energy during the 80s? I mean, I suppose every decades a yeah, like that. No, no, it
1: was. It was. It, it, it still hasn't had its. I mean, well, I don't know because I'm kind of too close to it, but it hasn't got its cultural um, cultural place yet. But uh, it will do, and uh, there, there was a lot of amazing stuff. Yeah, well, we yeah, really know. good, really solid.
0: Because when you dig down the '80s, initially when you're there, it was like there was the mainstream charts, and it had that kind of Trevor Horn production sound, which was a bit sort of blimey. That's that's. But kind we were all
1: part of that as well, though. You know, that's that's the thing. It was all mixed together. It didn't matter. Yeah, you know, you didn't. You know that kind of uh, super pop was getting as much airtime as things that were recorded with a bunch of bunch of you know organic instruments. It wasn't. It, there was no difference. If it had a tune, if it had a hook, it got it got airplay.
0: Yeah. Uh, but that so those. Was, but was, you. But well, healthy because of that. Yeah. But there was the alternative scene with all the kind of the kids who weren't. Going to you know buying the face monthly and sort of wanting to hang out in the sort of with the beautiful people, you know the indie pop scene in the John Peel show and the NME. So there was that kind of. No,
1: but it was no, but it was crossing over. It actually was the same thing. It wasn't a different thing. That's what's so actually so interesting about it is things got ghettoised and separated later. At that moment, you could have you could have orange juice on the cover of smash hits you know with jules michael and but you know but they're all kind of it was all part of the same scene you know yes it didn't seem it didn't seem to have those separations that came a little bit later
0: but but there was always that undercurrent wasn't there the kind of the the people who were you know the Socialist Workers Party, you know Red Wedge, and all that kind of movement as well. That was kind of—I
1: I think it was the same thing. It really was. It actually was all—all all, anyone just doing something was embraced. Yes. Like kind of youth culture. It was fine. You know, it didn't we didn't have a kind of stigma?
0: Well, I think really
1: it's weird. It hasn't happened since.
0: No, this is true. And also we had the we had those gatekeepers as well, which were, you know, which is now is quite tricky. But then, you know, there were certain things you had to do or be on or be in, you know, know, like there was three or even four weekly music papers. And, uh, you know, when I spoke to Americans, they they were just a lot of outlets. There was a lot everything. We had to wait once a month. So those magazines didn't sort of go and put in articles about Bogshed or Stump or Big Flame or, or sort of those kind of really quirky bands. You know, you just wouldn't have got that. Whereas in the UK, they needed to fill those pages. And, and something like the NME yeah. had 100,000 copies being sold a week. And then you had all those small little labels that were starting up as well from... Yeah. You know the pink label to Creation Records to you know Vindlu Records and and mm-hmm. Kitchenware. So there was there was in the postcard and fifty third and third and and you know those ones the flat I don't know from Bristol I can't remember what they called now. But anyway they they were sort of it was there was just a lot of people having a go.
1: Why
0: records? Can't remember flatmates. God I should remember. Uh, why
1: was uh, why was pigback?
0: Ah okay yeah. So then when when and you were the slits, yes. So when oh, you were. Pop group, yeah. Oh, yes, this is true. This is true. But then, as we were trucking through the, with the, through the 80s with great enthusiasm, you're, you had to sort of then regroup and get that second album. So, when did. You know, this was 85 that came out, you know, and the first album was 83. Was there a lot of pressure with the band to try and, and do the sort of the famous second album?
1: Yeah, that's when the pressure starts. That's when you start to trip. That's when you that's when you find your you're kind of marooned without a scene yes. to support you. W- and what- you have to be very you have to be very good at that moment.
0: And and what was it like for you you guys?
1: We weren't very good at that moment.
0: Was was it the band that was sort of not happening? You know, the the dynamics within with within the band, or was it just the fact? I think
1: that, no, the band the band was good. Uh, but we were you lose you lose your focus on what was the thing that made it work.
0: Yes. Did you need?
1: It's a difficult difficult one, you know. Unless you're out and working and doing it and stuff, you don't see. You don't see how to, to kind of connect. You you are not connecting with the public, you
0: know. Yes. And
1: where we were really connecting with the public on day one, we were we were part of the public. We were part of the scene. We were part of the sound at that moment. And uh, and then you go off and you do your world tour and you do, you do. And then you're kind of not, you're not connecting. Yes. Unless you've got like a blinding songwriter in the band who can just write songs that are wonderful, uh, which we didn't. We had it, it was a collective songwriting. Um, we didn't connect. Yes. So we eventually got out Another couple of singles and didn't connect. Did you need the a world had changed?
0: Did you need a Brian Epstein at this point to sort of pull the band together?
1: Everyone needs a Brian Epstein.
0: Yes, I know. And this I
1: spent is, the rest of my life trying to be one.
0: Yes. Well, I think this is the problem with the Smiths. They never had that person who just said,
1: Come. "Yeah, but they had fucking good songwriters, though." They did. We didn't have. We didn't have. We didn't have as good songwriters. Yeah. Or not. Not as. Not as determined.
0: So when you were trying to sort of record that second album or write it, was it the case that you were just jamming a lot and trying to sort of come up with ideas and then just going? Well,
1: I don't remember how it actually came about.
0: Yes. But then you still put out an album, didn't you? Skin and Bone.
1: No, it didn't come out. Did it? Came out later.
0: You'd all split it by then.
1: Yeah, we'd done it we did a couple of singles and then it, it got dropped. Blimey. That the the fact it came out was only just by kind of a re release sort of um, process. Yes. Later on, years later. No, it wasn't it wasn't good enough. It wasn't good enough.
0: God, that must have been tough. And then what did you...
1: Did no, you, it's not tough. It's just what you got to fucking learn, you know? <laughs>
0: <laughs> but there are moments, I suppose, when you've been in the band with those group of people and you've obviously had history with a few of them because you went back to your Bristol days. Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely.
0: It, it must have felt strange when that community or those connections had sort of... were n- no longer there.
1: Uh, it's all right,
0: yeah. You get on so then what happens to you do you run a club after that
1: yes I dived wholeheartedly into being a nightclub promoter uh, which I found I was very skilled at putting on a party so I got into it yeah yes, I was sort of doing sort of of 87 I was doing sort of events and and parties one-off things one-off like warehouse parties and things like that and then uh, and then the acid house thing happened in london 88 and i was like right in the middle of it and it, it was just like this is this is good people were going out seven nights a week and i started doing like a lot of events and then um, i found um i found a small club on in wardle street that was on its last legs and Talked them into letting me take it over seven nights a week, and uh, turned it into a place called the Brain Club, which sort of became the epicenter of the scene for like the London, like the house house crowd in '89. And uh, we did that seven nights a week. We were there literally. It was like a sort of mem. It wasn't a members club, but it was felt like a members club. So everyone drank there. You know, yeah. There's only two two little floors above a restaurant on Wardle Street and a roof roof terrace on the top. And uh, it was phenomenal. It just kicked off, and keys uh, down the road every night. And amazing people worked there, like Graham Park from Hacienda. We did it. We used to do live, live, live electronic shows with all the new sort of um, the new kind of people who were make, doing live dance music, uh, like Adamski, a guy called Gerald, people like that. Would just play there live on the dance floor. You know, with would bring their gear and plug it in. Yes. Um, yeah, did a number of live live compilations out of that club, and, and then went on for then went on bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger clubs. There was one point I was running two clubs on on Leicester Square on Saturday nights at the same time. <laughs> I had the Cafe de Paris and another place on called Maximus on by the by the Empire uh, with a thousand people in each every on Saturday, you know. Uh, and then kind of went on to develop clubs for, for other sort of operators, did a thing uh, called Club UK, huge club, the Leisure Lounge in Holborn, which was massive, uh, the Complex for Vince Power up in Islington. And then uh, I, the last venue I kind of did properly was the Scala in King's Cross, which is still there. So nice. I sort of turned that from an empty cinema into a music venue. Yeah.
0: God, that's quite impressive.
1: So done lots of that stuff.
0: Yes, and you've And got... then
1: invented Shoreditch in the 90s. And uh, did the Shoreditch Festival, three full festival, festival, which was like a 15,000-cap free festival in Shoreditch Park. Uh, went on for seven years. Blimey. With lots of stuff. Yes. Yeah.
0: So have you just, and you've now on one, two, three, four records that were not on it? <laughs> I've
1: got my label still, which is, you know, that's only, it's just a start-up label that I use for like people I'm involved with. Yeah. Um, not much comes out on it. But um, we're diving in in the new year. We're doing a socially distanced tour in, in April, if we're, if we're allowed, uh, right around England. We've got like um, eight cities. Uh, that's all bustle that's all books in for like a, and and with a whole slew of new artists Look, the kids are what matter in the new year, all the old people can fuck off absolutely uh, <laughs> unless they've died already, and uh the kids will rule, <laughs> and I'm there to help
0: yes <laughs> and you've always kept your obviously your voice kept your enthusiasm for this
1: uh, yeah.
0: Which has been quite amazing. So did you did you ever miss being in a band or were you just so ensconced with, you know, running the club? But
1: weirdly, uh, two years ago I get a phone call from Vic Goddard, Would you like to do some shows? I've got a load of gigs up north and Johnny Britton and Chris Bostock are in the band. Would you like to play drums? And I was like Hmm. And I'd never contemplated anything like that <laughs> and then I was like yeah why not it'll be like last of the summer wine but the rock and roll version yes and uh, uh, yeah and we went out 2 years ago we toured did, did loads of shows around England some good some shit and uh, it's just been lovely reconnecting with those guys and um we we've done a new do done a new album we uh, we just thought who should we get to produce it? And we're like, oh, let's get Mick Jones. And I, I knew his daughter. I didn't have Mick's number, but uh, I knew I knew Lauren, his daughter. So I asked Lauren to ask him, and he just said yes. <laughs> so Mick Mick produced the album. We, did, we recorded it in two weeks, and it's coming out in the spring.
0: Blimey, Mick's so still with it.
1: A new, a new Subway Sect album made by very old men. <laughs> but it sounds great, it's really optimistic and not be being...
0: Yes, absolutely. I mean when when you sort of look back at your um amazing career, you've done so much. What would you have said or wanted to have said to a sort of an eighteen year old self who was starting out in that interesting and sometimes murky world?
1: Uh, I'd have to get the measure of him before I'd say anything. Yes. But was there something possibly. P- possibly your your shit get better?
0: <laughs> yes. Well that's always good. People often say I wish I'd rehearsed more or practiced more, so there you go. Do you
1: think that... someone can take can take a bit of a beating from their mentor, then they're destined for something really good. I yeah. don't mean a physical beating, you know, For a a, a, a Set to you know if they, if they can take this de deconstructing and rebuilding then they they they're going to be
0: equipped because with man, with uh, band management what's what's your what's the main thing that you sort of focus on or sort of one thing that you try and sort of make sure that people pay attention to.
1: I didn't make the artists pay attention to? Yeah, I mean, I just wondered if they... people. Well, no,
0: the the artists, the band, you know, because you've, you know, been into um, management. Well,
1: I it's, no, there's no magic. There's no magic um, formula. It's just, get you know, make them, if they've done something, make them do it again.
0: Yes, <laughs> I just wondered what I wondered what you'd have said to the the you know your band you know after that first album where you felt that you could have just said. Christ. I would have
1: said I would have said. Uh, listen to the people who have done it before who are older than you, but it's it's a, you know it's an age old, age old problem. The little ones think they know everything. Yes. Um,
0: I guess with a lot of you people. You bit, have to learn. You have to learn. It's a tough one.
1: You, you either learn by fixing it or you learn by looking at it from the distance.
0: <laughs> Are you amazed with bands that do sort of stay stay on the, you know, stay with it and sort of have a kind of a longer career, do you think? you know when you look at someone like you too am i amazed by that yes
1: i'm not amazed i know there's some people who are a lot more professional less chaotic more organized more centered and uh and uh, better at it yeah you know those people deserve it
0: do you ever think band therapy could have been the way forward
1: Absolutely fucking not! <laughs> what a horrible idea!
0: I don't know. When I When it's
1: over, when it's over, it's over. Mm. <laughs> Just get out.
0: <laughs> Are you still friends with the, the rest of the band? I mean, do you occasionally? Yeah. Of...
1: Well, you can't not sort of have a weird connection to people you've seen naked <laughs> 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 in more ways than one. But, uh, yeah, you can't. You know, it's just, it's a strange thing.
0: Yeah. Have you, have you sort of mined the, sort of the, the band archive? Because a lot of, you know, because you were saying earlier about... I, I
1: really don't go there. It's too depressing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but it's hard to get hold of your material, isn't it? Most, you know, quite a lot of it. It's not Thank
1: m- fuck for that. <laughs> it was more of an idea than a, than a kind of result. Right. I'm proud I'm proud of the of the concept I think it was really on the money yes but I think the result the result is flawed
0: yes the
1: product is flawed but I think the concept is really on the money
0: yeah but do you still got
1: my per- only personally I know the others probably wouldn't say
0: that no but that's fine but what about the, the, the single just got lucky do you sort of feel pride of that one
1: Oh God! I'll stand by that fucker <laughs> It's brilliant yes it's a proper piece of pop nonsense, and I love it yeah. I'm very happy to have been involved in that
0: yeah that was that was a good one and did yeah it it's and a
1: really it's a really thank you for mentioning that one it's actually a, it's a jam yeah
0: it is the one that sort of you think wow oh, it's
1: the best thing it's the best thing we ever did. yeah. Yeah, It's actually the only good thing, really. It's really good. It's really strong.
0: It's interesting because you're so honest about your material. Not many people would be that honest.
1: Well, I'm not trying to hawk it around the world, am I still? <laughs> <laughs> like they are. I guess not. And also, you know, uh, they're probably better.
0: Yeah, I guess that, that you know. I mean, a few of them went on to other musical moments, didn't they? So, yeah. I suppose they sort of. I mean, when the
1: stars when the stars align, you know, you could, something that's got a bit of spirit and kind of style, kind of can kind of cut through, or could back then cut through. But whether it, you know whether the the thing was worth continuing or not is another matter. Is it?
0: So, was there a plan this year to have done a? a a show to celebrate the... Yes,
1: there was a plan to try and kind of dip in and see what we could do with that material and see if we could make it palatable
0: to yes. a modern
1: audience <laughs> and some old people.
0: And some old people. And did um, yeah. did you get further than just kind of meeting up and having the odd Zoom meeting or...?
1: No, we just talked on email. We don't do Zoom. And uh, we uh, he booked a couple of shows with him the promoter, but obviously things changed.
0: Yes. So, is there any kind of plans next year? You know, the end of next yeah, year.
1: Yeah, maybe. Yeah, we'll, we'll see what see see how this pans out.
0: Yes, and we'll take and, it.
1: Uh if everyone's still alive,
0: <laughs> God knows, we've just gone to tier four. It's a it's a it's a it's a moment, isn't it? Fuck, never mind. That's that's nice.
1: It's really good. I'm 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 enjoying it. Oh, good. Especially the um, demonstration of what Brexit's going to look like (laughs) down in Dover. (laughs) (laughs) Let all those people not have purple broccoli for their Christmas dinner. <laughs> who voted for that fucking dinosaur?
0: <laughs> I know it looks a bit like a Stonehenge festival down there, but could you imagine the pierce? Oh,
1: it's fantastic! I'm so pleased. <laughs> I know that's my Christmas entertainment: <laughs> watching lorry drivers punching policemen, sitting <laughs> <laughs> in bushes.
0: <laughs> I know pissing in bottles. That's what Brexit's
1: going to look like. <laughs>
0: I know, it's a classic, isn't empty it? Empty
1: shelves. <laughs> oh, thank God. <laughs> It'll give the kids some reason to revolt, which is all I care about. Excellent. So on, on, on that note, I'm off.
0: Yeah, okay, well, look, thanks a lot. Okay.
1: Yeah, you Ta- got enough there? I have
0: got a lot there. <laughs> okay, <laughs> take care and have a great Christmas. Can and, um, you
1: email me it?
0: I will. I will email and then you'll be able to... Whenever
1: it, when, whatever and whatever format and whatever it comes out. I'll I, send you the link. I stand by everything I've said.
0: Good, good. Actually, it's been fine. Anyway. It's
1: lovely to have met you. I think I love your I love your manner. It's good.
0: Mm. OK, thank you ever so much. Take care. And that, dear listener, is the end of the interview. Thank you ever so much for listening. If you still are. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, that was me in the conversation with Sean McCluskey from the Joe Boxers... If you want to contact me for some random reason, you can on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, just do C86 show. It's good. Also, all these interviews have been archived. You can find them on Spotify, iTunes, Podbean, C86 show. That's it. You'll find them. Um, Apart from that. Anyway, have a great year or great week. I'll be back. It's me. Bye.